What is up, guys, and welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And I'm James. And James, it's another topical day. Oh, topical, topical. Ooh, it's topical time. I love it when we do topical discussions. How are you today? Tired. Work again? Work. You've really got to stop that working malarkey, mate. I, I wish I could, mate, but, you know, people don't pay me to play games. I wish they would. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we do keep trying, you know, just <laughs> randomly saying pay me, and it just doesn't seem to work. No. But hey-ho, you never know. It might happen at some point. Yeah, other than that, have you been playing many games this week, James? We've played a couple of games, haven't we, Jason? We have. It was uh, mainly family games this week because it's half-term here in the UK, and my son is here with me for the full week, and it's been nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love him very much, but yeah, stressful, stressful indeed. Keeping a child who's got far, far more energy than I ever had in my entire life happy is, yeah, stressful. As I'm sure most of the listeners will probably know, you know, those of you that have got kids out there or have relatives that have kids, yeah, you're lucky. You, you don't have kids, do you? No. But uh, I do believe you have uh, a relative that has a very young uh, child. I, yes, I have a niece and a nephew. <laughs> The nephew's fine, you know, he's coming up on one, so he just sits there and gurgles. <laughs> but yes, the uh, the six-year-old is... Um... Hyper? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Only two years younger than my little one, so yeah, you've got all that. So many more years to come, James. Yes, indeed. Enjoy it. Anyway, so we're not really talking about family games today. We will be talking about some in the future, but not today. Today's topical discussion is going to be on value and value that we find within our games and within our hobby more to the point because we are mainly going to be talking about board games i'd imagine but we'll try and touch on other tabletop subjects as well so are you excited for that james i am so shall we dive straight into that let's do it let's do it suspenseful music time I love the fact that every time we do that, we have that little dance of the jingle. You know, <laughs> you guys don't get to see that, but yeah, we are that sad. Yep. We, we live dancing to our own little jingles. Anyway, yes, James, we constantly, maybe not on here, but constantly in person, we're always preaching to pretty much everyone about the value that comes when buying into our hobby over say for example a night out drinking yes. you know it's always it seems like you get much better value from our hobby and even compared to other hobbies this isn't as stupidly expensive or even the upfront cost it may well be the same but there seems to be more value to it yeah Depends which aspect of the hobby, I suppose. Yeah, I, I recently got asked, in fact, by a, a few different people as, as to whether that was true. You know, whether what we preach was indeed true because they look at my games collection, for example, and go, well, if, it, if, if there's so much value in one box... Why do you need hundreds of games? And you know what? That's a fair comment. You know, I think with the fact that we do the podcast and we, yeah, we run the games clubs, I've got good excuses, but there are hundreds of gamers out there with bigger collections than me. So that's the first question is what, it, it, why so many? It strikes me as a bit of an odd question because a lot of people would say, that, you know, if there's so much value in, in gaming, why do you need more than one? Mm. Well, there wouldn't be if you played the same game over and over again. Mm. You need variety. It's like well, you don't buy a gaming computer or a games console and buy one game. Well, I guess that that's pretty true. Yeah. But we're, we're also trying to argue that there's much more value in board gaming than there is over, say, computer gaming. But mm. You know, then you could argue that some hobbies, let's say golf, for example, is one we always like to use. Is that you don't see many people going out and buy multiple sets of golf clubs, other than serious, serious <laughs> hardcore players. I can think of one particular person that I know who's very serious who owns about. 
five sets of golf clubs. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, but your golf bats so don't see the value. <laughs> yeah, he won't listen, I'm sure. Or maybe he will. He Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, so look, we, we're going to talk today about what we see as value within our within our hobby uh this will be interesting because obviously james has only ever purchased one sort of modern board game as well as some uh, war game stuff yeah i i have a few things that i like to to bring up when i'm talking about value well but... jason i i get great value because every time i'm interested in buying a game like, oh, i might buy that don't worry it's already in the collection oh thanks jace <laughs> well that, that's extreme value that, yeah. that, that's that's brilliant value for me it's like oh i mean that's something i should actually add to my list is like, it's it's keeping my friends happy <laughs> so you know that's that's not even on my list. So yes. there you go. There's number one. There you go. Top tip for people out there. It's like, if you can't afford the board game, get yourself a friend who's an impulse buyer. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so should we do this, James? Let's, let's chat about what we think actually brings value to a board game. And I'm going to kick off with what I think is my number one on the list. Not like it's the most important thing, but you know, it's the first one I'm coming to. And that is that you actually get a decent amount of educational value from tabletop gaming and and this one sort of does lean more towards the board game aspects of things but also it covers for warhammer and to a degree some rpg stuff as well but yeah educational a lot of board games will actually teach you stuff as you're playing it as well as you know the mathematical side of things yeah i mean the the mathematical side of things is the first thing that jumps into my head it's just like oh want to do this once i left school but <laughs> don't make me do maths damn it but it does it in a fun way so you don't yeah. mind it yeah exactly and you know even you know, i suppose language would be something that a game can teach to a degree as well like not that it's teaching you a whole new language but there are some words that i've seen in some you know game books be it you know, especially rpg books there's like do you know what i speak english as my first language and i didn't even know what that word meant yep so yeah educational value young and old for me what what would be your first sort of thing that you would mention as value in in games uh, if we're going to talk about value my first thing that comes to mind to get the most value out of a board game replayability mm-hmm. so in what sense would you say like you know the amount of times that you're going to be able to play the game it has to be engaging enough for you to want to play it more than once mm-hmm. there you know we've both played board games where we've sort of gone yeah it was all right no great urge to play it again yeah our best experiences have been games where we've played it and you're already thinking about the next time you're going to play it yeah yeah you know oh, next time i play it i'm going to do this i should have done that i'm going to remember to do that next time if you walk away from a board get from any kind of game with that mindset you've already got great value for your money yeah yeah because you're getting more more than one play yeah out of it so i mean on those grounds you've got things like legacy games which are by design only meant to be played once yeah and yet they tend to be the more expensive games would you say that that makes them have zero value or Uh, to me i don't understand that type of game Mm. yeah i mean i'm not a fan um the the ones i have played have been good but yeah the 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 fact that there's no real replayability to them is always put me off especially that the high cost that they have yeah it's just kind of like why would i want to only play this game once and yeah all right if it's a cheap game fair enough but it's not yeah so i mean i suppose that they they are the anomaly i suppose in our hobby where it's something that's specifically designed to only be played once but yeah so replayability that is a real good one the 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 problem is the, the argument really comes then is again we're preaching that games are great value what if someone's first foray into our hobby is that they go and buy a game that they don't enjoy what then because they've only ever got one play out of that which means it is technically an expensive 
one play game. Well, yeah, it is. Um, I would turn around and say that it's like you'd have to get if you were coming into the hobby for the first time is don't go straight into buying basically mm. go to a local games night play some games yeah at least work out the types of games that you enjoy because that will you you can then go and either buy one that you've really enjoyed playing at your gaming sessions or you know well i like this type of game so i'm probably going to like this 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 yeah. and this yeah at least it gives you an idea it's a there's no guarantee that you're not at that point in, in your hobby career shall we say going to buy a dud yeah but you can do things to limit the chances that you're going to buy a dud yeah i mean i, I can say you say from from my buying history that I, i've bought countless amounts of games that were duds and that i haven't enjoyed and lucky luckily for those companies they are games that i've played and don't want to play again before we even started this podcast because i probably wouldn't have given them a favorable uh Mm. a favorable review and some of them i've even sold so there yeah. is literally no chance that that i can do that but on the selling front would you say that that's a an equation that you you take in to your valuing of a game the fact that you know it's resale value no uh, i per i can only speak for myself personally here i don't look at a game thinking about the the idea to me is like i want to put if i'm going to purchase a game selling it should be the furthest thing from my mind mm -hmm. i don't even want to think about it it's like right. i want to buy it because i want to play it yeah now <laughs> that, that that's a fair comment actually because i i don't like selling games you know i've i've only recently started to to let games go from the collection mm. but it's not really something that i like to take into account in my equation of as to whether a game has good value to it or not i guess if i've played a game a few times and i find myself being a bit like uh, it's a bit meh if i then am able to sell it and recoup some of my money yeah then i sort of then have to look at it and go well okay i i paid this i sold it for this have i got my value with what's left yeah you know that i could definitely do when it comes to to resale and value in a game so i suppose technically it is in the equation but it's not there from the start mm. Uh, I'll move on to another one. What One thing I do think is really good about games, and this has actually helped me personally as well, since taking on board, modern board games especially, but also from when I used to play Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy and things like that, I found that I was getting a sharper focus and you know my attention was, was far more streamlined. I actually was paying attention to stuff. Before that, I had a very short attention span, hmm. whereas as soon as I got involved in this hobby, it's, so, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. There's enough going on that it keeps my attention and it's taught me to really pay attention to things. Yeah. You know, when I was in school, I was terrible. I'm the first to hold my hand oh, and yeah, say yeah. that. I, I, I was exactly the same, and I know what you mean. It it's, gives you something to focus on that's enjoyable. And I think you saying about schools, it's, it's something I think, could be careful here, not taking a pop at teachers, but schools as an institutions, because you're trying to deal with multiple children, mm -hmm. effectively, it's like they, they sometimes struggle to actually get that engagement up because they don't really know how to do it. It's like, yeah. well, here's your syllabus this is the subject you're teaching you need to get people engaged and then they will focus yeah i i can think of an example of that again maths i've always sucked at maths mm -hmm. never when i was at school i never really had any interest in maths because the first thing and i'm sure i'm not alone in this is you're looking at this stuff on the board and going when am i ever going to use that and it was a completely different world when we went to college for example because yeah. then it was this is this 
but more importantly, this is how you use it. Oh, yeah, and I always found that with like, let's take something like, um, I don't know, trigonometry or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. In school, it was, well, sir, when am I ever going to use this? Why, why do I need to know this? Because you need to know it was usually the answer. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't really a, a practical answer. Yeah, of, because oh, you need to know. Well, it. if you become an engineer, you'll need it for this. Or... Well, not even, when we were at college, you know, why, why, why am I going to need Pythagoras' theorem? And, you know, why do I need to know the area of a circle? Well, the uh, the world is basically made of circles and triangles. And, you know, let's take a roof, for example. Yeah. You, know, you know, you don't want your roof to fall down. A roof is a triangle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it is it is great in, in that sense because games will always give you a purpose for knowing yeah. certain I things. I'm actually struggling to think of a good example for gaming, but there are certain themes where it's like they've done really well in sort of actually going into that kind of... Mm depth on the subject yeah sharpening focus and attention is definitely something that is on my list i mean i don't think the social aspect can be overstated enough yep you know that that brings great value to to gaming gaming in general it's like it's a social hobby it's a social hobby and again that in turn has social skill teaching techniques because yep. especially in cooperative games for example you are forced to you know engage with your you know your fellow players yeah, which I, is a social I, I, I do find it funny that you've you've said you know social skills it's like well I, does it say something about me that the type of game i like to play are like social deduction games like nemesis it's like it's taught me how to lie to people yes yeah yeah <laughs> um I'm not sure if that's a particularly good thing that we should be promoting, but... <laughs> yeah, so uh, there's there's a good degree of different social skills, actually, because like you said, social deduction, reading people's body language yep. and, and things like that, it's all social skills that can be used outside of gaming. And yeah, all right. It sounds, you know, it may sound like we're just, you know, taking the mickey, if you like, or, or or even really blowing this up to make it sound like games are amazing at teaching things. It may only be teaching you little bits here and there, but it is teaching. It's still educational. I mean, it is. I mean, I, I'm actually looking at your shelf here and just thinking it might not be part of the actual gameplay itself, but the Azul series. Mm-hmm. Every Azul game comes with that little blurb on the back yeah. to get, with its setting about, you know... Um, the stained glass of Sinatra. What is the state? It gives yeah. you that little bit of little, a little blurb, isn't yeah, it? It's like a, a blurb of history, it's like and... a small little bit of history based on on the game, and yeah. all of them are like that. Yeah. So yeah, a little bit of educational value, sharpening focus, attention, the social aspect of things. Definitely, the social one leads me on to sort of my next one, which is the mental health effects. Now, this is a huge huge one for me because you don't think about it when you're thinking about games and board games specifically Mm. but yeah helps with anxiety helps with depression helps with stress helps with causing a distraction or gives you a release from everyday life i preach about this all the time paul is a perfect example our newsman paul when he first come on the podcast and explained how he first got into gaming it was to help him with his his mental health and we are going to be, again, we're going to be doing a full episode on mental health and gaming, but that is, to me, one of the biggest values you get from a game, yeah. away from even just play, you know, buying it to play. Yeah, mental health benefits and social skills, I don't think can be, it, it can't be overstated how, how much gaming can help with that. And we see this at the gaming club, don't we? We do. You know, yeah. there's a couple of, uh, of the guys who have come down when they first came down they were shy they barely spoke to anyone mm-hmm. a couple of the younger ones you kind of feel like it was almost like the parents yeah. brought them yeah. down you know yeah. as a sort of help 
yeah sort yeah, of thing help us, and, yeah. and now you watch them you know it's you watch them playing games and they're getting involved yeah. they actually made some friends mm -hmm. yeah. and that and it's they've done that through gaming yeah and you and you you know you when you do eventually get to speak to parents because it's gotten to the point that the parents literally just drop the kids off yeah and then they go and they come back and pick them up. But when you do get to speak to them and you find out that the kids are actually, oh, can we go to gaming, go games club now? It's like, that's really nice to hear. Mm. And it's all through the help that gaming has brought through their mental, you know, with their mental health. I mean, that's priceless yeah. in, in my mind. That, that in itself is priceless. And I think one final thing I would stick on the educational front is teaching teamwork. Now, I know that quite a few employers now will actually do team building days and they will use games like Pandemic, you know, games that are easy enough to teach and, and get teams, everyone to play them. Yep. It's because they're great at building teams. You have to work yep. together to play these cooperative games. I would actually tack on to the end of that as well. It's like, again, gaming in general for the younger players as well there is a degree of and you know you can get this from also from sports and other aspects but it also teaches you healthy competition mm -hmm. and most importantly to me how to lose yeah good sportsmanship yeah 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 i would agree not to be a because, sore loser and, uh, yeah, and, stuff and like it's that. not just that but it's not everything in life is going to go your way mm -hmm. so it's a helpful tool for, for things like that it's like yes Sometimes you're going to lose, you know, are you going to flip the board over or are you going to try again? Yeah, exactly. So that, again, that's fantastic. It's all part of that teaching teamwork or basically teaching other life skills mm. that these games don't set out to do. That's the most important thing here. These games don't set out to do that. No. It's just the fact that the hobby as a whole is able to do that, which I think is, again, like I said, it's priceless. It adds to the value yeah. of that, that box of cardboard. Yep. At the end of the day, or, or you know, if you're you're talking war games, it's, it's a box of plastic miniatures or, you know, yep. role play books. It's a book for the most part. You know, you can do role play games with just a book. And what better value there than hundreds of hours of creative journeys yep. done with nothing more than a book? You know, yeah, all right, you can expand it by using miniatures. You can buy maps. You can build scenery and stuff like that. But ultimately, the game is done with a book. Yep. Moving on, I, I'll ask you, James, at what point do you think that the game has served its purpose? You know, at what point do you think the value is is complete and it doesn't matter if it just sits on the shelf gathering dust or, or even gets sold on? For me, it's going back to my, my very first point of free playability. If you're looking at your game on a shelf and your thought isn't either, I want to play that or... Oh, I haven't played that for a while. Fancy that. If you're looking at your shelf, uh, if you're looking at a game on your shelf and basically just going, meh, pass over. Yeah. That, 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 that's, that's the point. So, so basically, yeah, when you, when you don't want to play it anymore. Yeah. And there is a difference between not wanting to play it and, you know, I'm going to use my one game as an example there. <laughs> yeah. Nemesis to me would actually lose value if you played it too much. It's okay. sort of like, if you're looking at it and going, well, I played that recently, so I want to rotate and play something else. Mm -hmm. That's not, it's still got value. If you're looking at it and going, just nah. No, that, that's that, that's a fair comment, yep. actually. You know, some people don't think about, you know, getting too much value for, from a yes. game, basically. You know, overplaying games. So well, that's it, good. I think, again, it's not limited to gaming, is it? It's like, play the same computer game. I've how many times have, have we played a computer game where you blitz all the way through the campaign and you've completed it in a couple of hours and you're just like, well, I don't really feel like i got my money's worth. Sometimes taking it slow and taking breaks and that will actually get you more value from it. So would you say if a game was, say, 50 quid 
50 pounds and it took 20 minutes to play you know is that something that you say is bad value is it's not going to give you enough i wouldn't have say that for board games computer games yes if if you're able to complete it ridiculously quickly i don't feel like i've got my value for it um and that, that i assume again doubles back to being because there's not the replayability there because you're just yeah. going to play it again and it'll be exactly the same and it's, it's i suppose it's how much how many options you know like again video games it's like well you've got difficulty settings to spice things up it's like mm. okay so if you did find it too easy okay were well, you playing on easy okay try upping the difficulty what, yeah. what does that do with board games again i'm going to use nemesis as an example where there's five different characters to play mm-hmm. there's randomized objective you're going to get a lot of replayability from this game mm-hmm. before you've actually played every option and without adding in difficulty levels which most games come with as well yeah uh, you know there's a the board is double-sided mm. so there is a hard mode there are expansions which again might add, will add replayability to a game and therefore increase its perceived value to me um i think for me yeah I, i'd echo most of those things like value comes from all the things that we've spoken about before yeah. how many times it sees the table yeah I mean, um, as a flip side to that, again, you're still using Nemesis as an example. If you if you played too much, would things like setup time would that reduce? Oh, I've got to set that down. You know, if you're playing it every, every week, for example, yeah. if you're breaking out every week again, like, oh, it's a half an hour setup time. I'm yeah, annoyed with this now. It's sort of like that might actually bring its perceived value down. Yes, and, and other things like that. It's like and. Uh, I can only speak for me personally, but it's like, yeah, if I play it too much, I'm going to get bored of it. Yeah. I need variety. Is there any other negative like things towards value that you have other than replayability or is that the key? Um, I would, key uh, obviously, if the if it, the game doesn't give you like multiple characters or other such things, they're basically things to spice up yeah. the replayability. If it's basically the same scenario and the same yeah. characters and it's like, well, it's not really, every playthrough is effectively going to be the same. Yeah. And especially if you, if you then get to know the game it's like well i'm never gonna i know how to win so it's pretty pointless getting the game out it's like right we're gonna play this game right we're gonna do this 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 this, 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 we're gonna do these six steps on these six turns and i'm gonna win yeah so the value is not there yeah at all so you know there might be a little bit like a dice might add some randomness to it but 99 percent of the time the playthrough is going to be exactly the same okay so let's just very quickly talk about a specific thing when it comes to war games but this does sort of work on the board game front and the the role play as well and that is do you think that miniatures add value to a game for example or do you think they're sort of an unnecessary expenditure because obviously when you think of miniatures especially in board games the board game price rockets up it does likes of warhammer the price is that much more than say a board game because of the the cost to produce the miniatures it's uh this is an interesting one because i would say in board gaming specifically miniatures are very hit and miss yes sometimes they are added in for you're sort of looking at them and going well they're nice but why Mm, yeah you know nemesis again they suit the game yes they 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 need to be there but i think those kind of games are few and far between a lot of games that throw miniatures in it's kind of not the the irony being is this is a subject that i actually want to do a topical one and that is miniatures within board games especially so we won't go into too much detail i don't think about whether we think or you know whether they should or shouldn't be there but you know value wise i would say again using nemesis as an example they add so much value yes to that game because they are one absolutely beautiful but they they make that game come alive yes so they may not make any difference to the actual gameplay itself 
No, you could. I mean, you could remove every single one of those miniatures from that game and replace them with tokens. Yeah, yeah. And it would still work perfectly fine. Mm. But my God, they're beautiful. And yeah. they just finished the game off nicely. Wargaming, the miniatures, well, you wouldn't want to push cardboard tokens around a six by four table. No. Um, and the other thing about, like, and I'm going to use Warhammer as an example here. I, how many players do you know who don't actually play the game? They just collect and paint the miniatures mm, yeah. because that's an entire part of the hobby on its own just modeling yeah well i guess that i mean that's definitely something that you could say is value you're actually doing two hobbies for the price of one yeah you know especially if you're gaming and building and painting and and collecting you know it is it's two or even three hobbies in one yeah which is the ultimate value i guess yeah i mean like i said i know people who have got multiple warhammer armies that have never actually seen a gaming table they Mm. just enjoy constructing and painting and displaying the miniatures yeah now i I can't really speak for people like that because i've never done that i've always played the game but Mm. you know like i said i I do build and paint miniatures and i really enjoy it it is a soothing thing for me to do after a stressful day you know sometimes i can't be bothered but other times it is just sort of like no it's nice to just sit down and relax and just paint some miniatures take myself away from the world don't sit and watch television you know just do my hobby make myself feel better yeah and i used to love that i mean to me when i was doing warhammer the game i would say was secondary mm-hmm. i did enjoy the actual miniature building and painting side of yeah. the hobby yeah. it just became a side a sort of afterthought of well i've got these armies i might as well use and it. there's a game that goes with them i might as well learn it yeah i mean i would you say there's there's plenty of value within say wargaming yeah I, can, I, I would say the actual the, the value of wargaming comes from the the actual miniatures the game is a bonus yeah it's you know it's not too different from like airfix kits and things like that it's just we're lucky enough in if you play warhammer like, like i say oh cool there's a game there's that goes game. with it yeah yeah exactly other than miniatures in wargaming do you think there's anything else within that particular branch of our hobby that adds value to the game like that I suppose using Games Workshop as an example, you've got the literature yes. that they also bring out. Now, oh, yeah, obviously, it's, it's an additional a, cost. It's but... an additional cost, but again, it's something that I I really enjoy. These days, it's that's the side of Games Workshop. I do. I really enjoy some of the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and the rich lore that comes with the game. I mean, because that that's I mean the Warhammer Forty Thousand stuff especially and that sort of aspect of it has been 1983 the Mm -hmm. first like rogue trader came out and they've been building that world since then you know next year that'll be 40 years worth of world building you know there's a there's a very rich background of lore and all the stories that come from it you know it's just i I love i I think my favorite ones at the moment are the horus heresy series Mm, yeah you know they're, they're great books so i never particularly got into the literature side of things when it came to warhammer myself but you know i i saw the value that was coming from it from my friends like yourself and, and a few others that were heavily into it and it made them have an extra love for the game and the miniatures that they were using because when they were playing the game they were then talking about the you know, air quotes fluff yeah the fluff that that comes with those miniatures the, the and, and fluff, where they've come from the fluff in wargaming is like 
the miniatures in Nemesis. Mm-hmm. They make the game come alive. You're not pushing plastic miniatures around a board anymore. You know, they've got a background. There's a reason why these two different factions are yeah. fighting, you know. Yeah. And, and it's like, I, I just love the fact that, they, you know, they've spent almost 40 years lovingly crafting this universe, basically. Yeah. And it's a really rich universe. Yeah. I know a lot of people complain about like Games Workshop's pricing structures and things like that. And I am indeed one of those people, mm. you know, I think I think we we've all done it. However, when you really think about the you know the the work that goes into crafting what they do, you know, it's not just about oh it's a plastic miniature. No, it's not. It's about they've paid the author to come up with that particular storyline for that particular soldier. They've paid a sculptor to either three D render you know a a sculpt for that miniature, or even in certain circumstances physically sculpt. Yeah, a a character, you know, and they they do all they can to make these characters and miniatures look like they are literally alive, you know, with yeah. heroics, you know, stances and 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 stuff like that. There is so much value, I think, actually in those packs of miniatures, yeah. and and you know, it's the same with Atomic Mass Games, the Marvel, you know, uh, Mantic game, basically any miniature producer. I can't think of any off the top of my head that I would say have no value in in their sculpting because mm. they were all lovely and they all look like they're they're moving they're not just you know standing still there's just so much story and and love behind those miniatures that it makes yeah. it worthwhile i mean I yeah think. they get they get the sh- the stick that they do justifiably in a lot of cases but yeah i think a lot of people do forget like the fact that, that you know the hard work that has to go into crafting mm. this and you know the passion that must be there as well to come up with this yeah. all this stuff but like i said i think we can go into more deep you know more more depth of that off our feelings on on you know miniatures and, and their costings and stuff when we do our miniatures episode because yep. there's a lot to talk about i guess when it when it comes to that but for the purpose of this episode i think there is value in, in all miniatures on the market. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with value for games, James? No, I think we've covered everything there, Jason. Yeah, it's it's really hard because obviously we do these things off the cusp and I know that as soon as we stop recording this, I'm going to think of something else that I think, oh no, that adds amazing value to the game. But the purpose of this episode overall is to say that yes, what we preach about these games being value for money is definitely there. We haven't even what? talked about monetary yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I don't, I think uh, the important thing to say is that a lot of that stuff we've just listed is not financial value. Mm. You know, is it worth the X price? It's it's more the value of not so much the game itself. Why do we devote untold hours of our time into this hobby? Why do we invest so much time in it? Why do we love doing it? That's the kind of value we're talking about. Mm. Not just, yeah. uh, is this game worth X, X, X what X well, company well, that, is charging for it? Exactly, that's it. And, you know, when you first tell people, it's like, oh, yeah, the, the value in a game is, you know, it's the same as going out on a night out or even less in, in a lot of circumstances. Mm. Yeah, that's just the monetary side of it. What we've talked about today is a whole other level. It's the priceless yeah. aspect of it. And it's priceless because it doesn't come with a price. You know, it, it's just there and it's extra value on top of what you have spent your hard-earned money on yeah. that you probably just didn't think about. So that that's that's where value really comes in for me with regards to modern board games, war games, role-play games, card games as well. I'm mm. not as versed in those you know, last two, but I, I just think there is value. Yes. I really do. And and we're preaching to the choir here. People that are listening to this podcast probably already know all this. Yeah. But to be honest, it's something that has to be said and it's something that needs to be pushed more 
amongst the community you know if you've got people that you find it hard to explain as to why board games are such good value by all means let them listen to the podcast or even better use what we've said yep it's it's all true you know there's nothing here that we we fabricated or made up so i think we should stop being deep now james uh, are we gonna hand over to paul so we can do some news we are indeed yes uh paul is is back this week so yeah over to you paul to tell me what i'm spending my money on this week No, 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 no more chocolate. What do you mean you can manage more? I'm telling you, you will burst, you know that. You don't have to eat all of it now, you know that, right? No, I told you I'm stuffed. Although, I might have a hot cross bun. Yeah, of course we've got hot cross buns. Sorted then. You go and get the toaster fired up, but before you do that, you know what time it is. No. That's better. Hit it. Viticulture, the board game about making wine from the creators of Scythe and Tapestry, Stonemaier Games, is getting a brand new expansion that turns the wine-making competitive experience into a cooperative team effort. As in normal viticulture, each player will still manage their own vineyard, primarily by assigning worker meeples to various actions in order to produce wine and drive tourism, but Viticulture World will see the players joining forces to boost their collective fame and fortune rather than competing with each other. The expansion, which requires the original Viticulture to play, includes a dedicated game board that challenges the players to each earn 25 victory points and collectively reach the end of the influence track in order to claim victory. The expansion will also support Viticulture's previous expansions, including the modular additions found in Tuscany and its essential edition. Seven different continents present different challenges in each playthrough, due to asymmetric event card decks, representing six years of in-game time divided into individual seasons. The continents include six real-world regions and a surprise crossover with the world of Charterstone, the fantasy legacy game by Viticulture co-creator Jamie Stagmire. Publisher Stonemaier Games compared the new collaborative modes, objectives and asymmetrical efforts to co-op board games Spirit Island and Orleans Invasion. Viticulture World will also include Automa rules to play the game as a single player, with a solo mode simulating a co-op partner to join the lone human player. Outside of its cooperative additions, the expansion will revise the original game's red and blue Mama and Papa cards, thematically representing the two people who gifted each other their vineyard, while mechanically providing a unique set of starting resources to each player. Viticulture World's additional cards can be shuffled into the original game's Mamas and Papas to offer new, same-sex pairings, expanding the previous game's limitation to man and woman combinations only. Stonemaier Games added that future printings of the base game would similarly include the revised cards, confirming that the change would not alter gameplay but ensured more inclusive visibility. The eight revised cards can also be downloaded freely from the publisher's website. Viticulture World will be made available for pre-order in early June, with its release set to follow within a few weeks, according to Stonemaier Games. 
a wider retail release will subsequently land a few months after that. Hang on, Brian. Early June. You know what that means, don't you? UK Games Expo. Exactly. Wizards of the Coast's parent company, Hasbro, has recently announced the purchase of D&D Beyond from Fandom for $146.3 million in cash. The digital toolset for the one of the most popular tabletop RPGs in the world, along with the team who develops and manages it, will become an in-house asset once the deal is finalised. Hasbro announced its plans on April 13th in a press release, saying the purchase will further strengthen Hasbro's capabilities in the fast-growing digital tabletop category, while also adding veteran talents to the Wizards of the Coast team. Although both Fandom and Hasbro have approved the deal, it won't be final until later in the year. D&D Beyond first launched in 2017 as a way to access character sheets, campaign notes and information from the physical rulebooks via computers and mobile devices. It has since become a popular tool for assisting online play through virtual tabletops such as Roll20. Wizards of the Coast said the continued surge in online roleplay informed this purchase. Chris Cox, Hasbro Chief Executive Officer, said the acquisition of D&D Beyond will accelerate our progress in both gaming and direct-to-consumer, two priority areas of growth for Hasbro providing immediate access to a loyal, growing player base. Further on in the press release, he further explained the value D&D Beyond brings to Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro by streamlining the process between the company and its consumers. It went on to say the strategic acquisition of D&D Beyond will deliver a direct relationship with fans, providing valuable, data-driven insights to unlock opportunities for growth in new product development, live services and tools, and including regional expansions. Fandom acquired D&D Beyond from Twitch through its Curse subsidiary in 2018, where it positioned the platform as a third-party seller of Dungeons & Dragons supplements, adventures, core books, and special bestiaries. A blog post released concurrently with the announcement from Fandom addressed immediate fears from players that they would need to purchase these books all over again. We have no plans to stop supporting D&D beyond the post reads. The purchases you've made, the characters that you've created, and the campaigns you've run aren't going anywhere. Despite its popularity, D&D Beyond was not perfect. Forcing players to purchase a book twice just to use it on the digital app has been a long-time frustration, and many have already expressed a desire to see Wizards of the Coast bundle a redeemable D&D Beyond code in physical copies of their books. Beyond that, plans for how pricing models and available features for the services have not been yet made clear. Hasbro said D&D Beyond had close to 10 million registered users at the time of sale, and other publishers, including the fandom-owned Cortex, have increased their investment in digital RPG tools. At the same time, Roll20's user base doubled since 2020, and independent designers are turning to companies such as One More Multiverse to provide unique online components for their own titles. Cosmic Encounter, the space board game about galactic dominance, is getting its first expansion in over five years. Called Cosmic Encounter, 
Cosmic Odyssey, the expansion introduces a collection of new content to the base game, including a new campaign mode. According to its publisher, Fantasy Flight Games, the studio responsible for the recent 45th anniversary edition of Cosmic Encounter, Cosmic Odyssey is set to be the biggest expansion ever released for Cosmic Encounter. The campaign mode in Cosmic Odyssey will have players leading various coalitions of alien species across a series of cosmological ages, or multiple games, with the aim of acquiring prizes along the way. At the end of each age, players can decide to cash in their prizes for benefits, or can save these for the very last age, wherein any player that wins is declared a campaign winner. Every age in the upcoming board game expansion will offer a new set of variants, some of which of from previously released expansions, with there being 13 in total. A new set of alien species is being introduced in Cosmic Odyssey, which include the Aura, a species that is honest to a fault, the Bubbles, who are literally a cloud of bubbles, the cybernetically enhanced Magnet, the dangerous Witches species, or the Lloyd species, which provide players with a more cooperative action. There will be part of 30 new species featured in the expansion, alongside alternative universe versions of previous species such as the Grumpus, whose alternative timeline version includes a new ability for the players to utilise. Cosmic Encounter, which was originally released in 1977, is a board game that sees players attempting to invade and take control of rival planets. Players are randomly given an alien species to play as, whose identities remain hidden until specific events trigger their reveal, or the player chooses to use an active ability. On a player's turn, they draw a card to determine which opponent they'll be invading, with the active player then choosing an amount of spaceships to dedicate to the fight. Players can attempt to convince others to join them on their conquest, thereby splitting the control of the planets they're invading. Those involved in the battle then secretly choose a card to attack or defend with before the player with the highest point total on their chosen card wins the fight. Cosmic Encounter Cosmic Odyssey is set to be launched on 7th of August at a retail price of $60 or £46. Oh yeah, that's right Brian, we did get to play Cosmic Encounter with Tom Vassell of Dice Tower fame back in 2019, and again, that was at UKGE. We seem to be dropping a lot of hints lately, aren't we? That's right, we were one move away from a joint win with Tom, and we were thwarted. I wonder if he'll be there again this year. And we're heading on over to crowdfunding now. And first up this week on Kickstarter is Don't Let It Die by Thunk Board Games. It's for one to four players. It's going to take 45 to 90 minutes to complete. It's for ages 10 and over, and it ends on Wednesday, May the 4th. Hmm... May the 4th be with you. Lightning strikes a nearby tree. Fire! Your group of Neanderthals must now endure Mother Nature and work together to keep the fire going long enough to learn its mysterious powers and its destructive capabilities. You have 14 days to uncover its secrets before a massive flood drowns the valley and extinguishes humanity's one chance at becoming the apex predator and escaping extinction. Don't Let It Die is a cooperative survival game based on early humanity's struggles to cement their place at the top of the food chain. You will gather resources and food, fight deadly predators, and learn the mysteries of fire. Your task is a difficult one, but no matter what happens, remember, you and the fire must survive. 
Your group consists of a selection of four characters from your tribe, all taking turns to search for resources, fight off dangerous animals, unlock new discoveries and working together to keep the fire alive. Designed from the ground up to offer a replayable, interactive, strategic, cooperative experience for one to four players. The key to victory lies in your group's ability to adapt to the ever-present and always changing threats of prehistoric life. Should you focus on hunting and foraging to feed your starving tribe? Or should you be more concerned with supplying the dwindling fire with more wood? Perhaps even constructing a new weapon or tool might ease the stress of gathering resources. These choices and more await you in what will surely be the ultimate test of survival. Pledge at £31 for the game itself if you get in there quick before it jumps up to £34. Get the game and playmat for £44, or if you fancy any of the other thunk board games like Lost in Jurassica, Lost in Valhalla, or Get to the Checkpoint, that can be included with your pledge to... Next up, and this one's over on GameFound, repeat on GameFound, is Master Data, had to be careful there, by Cyanide and Happiness. It's for three to six players, it's going to take you 20 minutes to play, it's 13 years and over, ends on Thursday, May the 5th. Hmm, Revenge of the 5th. Master Data, the messed up dating game from Cyanide and Happiness, is a party game where players create awful, wacky, lovable characters and vie for each other's attention and affection. Defeat your rivals and win at love. You gather in a group of three to six players and each grab three of the head and three body cards. Each player then takes it in turns to be the uh, sexy singleton and flips over three interest cards, revealing facts about themselves, interests, needs and personal facts. For example, I need someone who will eat me, my fun fact is that I only date rich people, and I'm interested in finding my lifelong mortal enemy. From the other players' hands, they select suitors based on those credentials and then argue their case as to why they are the best choice for your date. For example, a leprechaun's head on a rattlesnake's body. So as a leprechaun snake, I can eat lots of people and I have lots of gold. The singleton then decides and awards the best suitor with the interest cards they used. The first player to get five interest cards, including one of each, interests, needs and facts, becomes the master data. So, pledge at $25 for the best game of Master Data, together with a set of 10 dating cards to include with your Joking Hazard edition. $35 gets you the game, the Joking Hazard expansion, and as per all the Cyanide and Happiness projects, the uncut or uh, not safe for work 150 card expansion for Master Data. Hate to think what stuff they put in there, but it's always hilarious, I suppose. Or the uh, Big Love Edition for $65, which gets you the game and its expansion, the Joking Hazard promo cards, the exclusive Master Data pin, a set of stickers and a love letter from Cyanide and Happiness themselves, plus any stretch goals they intend to unlock. And for the last one, we're heading back to Kickstarter. And it's a game called Sayu by Kahanat Sadomwatana. Sorry if I screwed that up. It's for two players, it's going to take 15 to 30 minutes, it's for 8 years and over, and ends on Monday 9th of May. Nope, 
no Star Wars puns there. Anyway, Sayu is an abstract strategy tile laying, tile flipping game for two players. The aim of the game is to trigger chain reactions and flip as many of the opponent's tiles to your side as you can. Be the player with the most tiles of your colour and win. Sayu combines simple turn by turn decision making with an ever expanding and changing maze of impassable walls and weaknesses that can be discovered when playing casually or planned and set up in advance when playing between two experienced players. The game plays like Reversi or Othello, crossed with a bit of a triple triad from Final Fantasy VIII, but with the added twist of stringing together a huge series of conversions and making a dramatic comeback even in the very last turn of the game. There are moments of absolute hilarity when you thought you calculated everything perfectly only to find out once the tiles start turning that you got one of your directions wrong. You did not make an 8 point swing like you thought, you only made 2 points and now your opponent is dying of laughter. Then there are moments of triumph when it all comes together, you are flipping tiles after tiles and your opponent makes increasingly more and more incredulous sounds as their lead disappears. Sayu is played with 49 unique, two-sided, octagonal, durable, solid beach wood tiles, all provided in a unique carrying pouch, so the small footprint needed for the game and no requirement for a board makes it a perfect game to bring along with you to play anywhere. Players will take it in turns, placing and converting tiles back and forth in this manner until all the tiles are placed and the game is over. Count up the total number of tiles for each player, Whoever has the most of their colour facing up is the winner. Sayu can be played on Tabletop Simulator right now if you fancy checking it out. Pledge just £20 for a copy of Sayu. Multiple copies of the game can be pledged for with a discount and you can also add Carnut's previous game Iro to your pledge during the process. And we're heading on over to events. Myself and Mid Sussex Meeples would like to welcome you to our next gaming day this coming weekend, Sunday 24th of April, from 10am through to 6pm. £5 per person, inclusive of teas, coffee, squash and biscuits. Location as always is the Cypress Hall, Cypress Road, Burgess Hill, RH158 DX. We're close to the centre of towns for the bus stops from Metrobus's Sunday services, running together with a short walk from Burgess Hill Station 2, which has seen some weekend maintenance disruption of late, but has now resumed its normal weekend running. Tuesdays is Worthing Board Gamers' first night of the week down at the new Dice Worthing store from 7pm until 10pm with just £3 cover charge with what I hear is a fantastic menu if you're feeling peckish. Location of the store is 24 to 26 Portland Road, Worthing, BN 11 1QN. Tonight also, the 19th of April, is Horsham Gamers Casual Gaming Event over at Holbrook Tithe Barn, 25 Millmead, Horsham, RH 12 2PT, from 8 through to 10.30. There's no charge for entry, although they have started a donation page if you would like to contribute when attending. Wednesdays has Crawley Gaming Community being hosted at the Comic Shop, 42 High Street, Crawley, RH10, 1BW, tending to gather from 6ish onwards until closed, and £3 per evening with plenty of snacks, drinks, milkshakes, sweets and pizza. Thursdays sees three groups running in the form of Worthing Board Gamers, second night of the week, down at the Ardington Hotel, Steen Gardens, Worthing, BN11, 3DZ, from 7pm, Dave is hosting Lewis Board 
Game Club at the Trinity Gaming Cafe over at Arbinger Place, Lewis, BN72QA, from 7pm through to 11pm, welcoming you for an evening of gaming with a tuck shop on site. Also, Jake and Chris would like to welcome you to Dice and Drinks, 79 to 81 Church Walk, Burgess Hill, RH159BQ, for their Thursday evening social. Entry is just £5 for the evening, with refreshments available to purchase at the shop. And Mondays, as always, is Crawley Gaming Club. They'll be up and running from 6pm over at the Tilgate Community Centre, Shackleton Road, Crawley, RH105DF. Just £3 per person over there with a tuck shop on site. Brian, you done with those hot cross buns yet? What do you mean you need to warn me about something? You haven't burned them, have you? You mean they got chocolate in? You picked up the posh ones again, didn't you? White chocolate and raspberry, or chocolate orange? Oh well, nil disparandum. Right, but before we tuck in and eventually pass out, say goodbye to everyone. And it's a goodbye from me, so keep safe, meeples. Keep those dice rolling, the cards shuffling. And we'll be right here for you next week. Thank you very much for that, Paul. And thank you guys for joining us once again for our topical discussion this week. We were talking about value in gaming, James. How did that go? I think we did quite well on that one, Jason. I, I think we did. As I said, I'm pretty sure there's things that we've forgotten. If we have, please let us know, mm. you know, because... We, well, you're a pick, because a lot of those are, from a personal standpoint, you know, everyone is going to have a different view about what brings value to gaming so yeah if you've got something that you think brings value to a game let us know yeah definitely uh let us know on any of the social media networks all of the the links and that are in the podcast description facebook instagram twitter and even our discord server they were all down there in the podcast description but short of that we've actually got a day off together tomorrow james mm-hmm. and it's not that late so i'm thinking we need to go and get at least a couple of games in yeah games let's do it till next week guys I've been Jason. And I've been James. And you've been listening to the Meeple Minded Podcast. Join us next week for more tabletop gaming goodness. Ta-ta! Goodbye!